Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. I am very excited and honored to have an incredible guest this week. Barbara With is here, and incredible story. There is a lot going on with this wonderful lady, and I am so glad that she's here She's a channeler. She's a psychic. She's a peace activist. She's award-winning publisher. Uh, it's just the list goes on and on. And we're going to talk to her in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow me there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcast click that button that connects us so you know when incredible guests come on you get that notification in real time to your device or wherever and you know to just dial into this high frequency information and of course most importantly tell a friend tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts you know where we're at you know where they're at we're here for them. We're here for everyone. Bring them here. Midnightsonearth.com. Okay. So now we're just about to talk to Barbara, but I have to read her bio. So here we go. Barbara With is an international peace activist, award-winning author and publisher, psychic channel, composer and performer, workshop facilitator, and inspirational speaker working actively since 1987. She is the co-founder of Conflict Revolution, a revolutionary way to resolve conflicts of the psyche based on her work channeling Albert Einstein. This is going to be amazing. She has authored six books on metaphysics, and she teaches and trains Conflict Revolution in the classroom and on Zoom. She also lectures on her Einstein's Unified Field Theory, Maps of Human Consciousness, and the Science of Compassion. And she's here with us right now. Hello, Barbara With. Hey, Jake. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited to hear your story. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. So digging into your story. You've been active since 1987, doing readings for people as a psychic. Tell me about your beginnings. Tell me about how you discovered your psychic abilities. Well, um, I, just briefly, I always say it started with the music. Okay. I started writing music when I was 12 or 13. And so that process was very much like channeling. I didn't know it at the time, but right. um, so I, I had... Um, probably two solid sets of music by the time I was out of high school and went out on the road as a, an, in rock and roll. And, wow. and, and I went to see a psychic when I was in high school, but not because I was looking for a psychic, but because my friend Mike had a mom who gave readings. And one day somebody said, you got to come and see what Mike's mom does. So I started to have readings with her. 
And so by the time in 1987, when I started to spontaneously automatic write, I knew what it was. I I wasn't like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> my hands are independent of my thoughts. It was like, wow, I can do this. And um, that's really how it started. Automatic writing. It, yes. So what, what, how, how did that begin? Like what, what was the first session? What made you intuitively grab the writing utensil and make that happen? Like what happened there? Well, and you know, I feel kind of a lot in life. I feel like kind of the accidental psychic, <sighs> the accidental, that's my thing. I, and because I was writing a letter to a friend Okay. and I was, she was my best girlfriend and we were having a little tiff and I was, <laughs> you know, being a little like, you know, I was telling her how bad it was to make judgments. Okay. And and listen to that statement, how bad it is to make, you know, <laughs> how many judgments am I making on her? Exactly. But suddenly my hands kind of became independent of me and they went into this whole other language about, yes, because when you make a judgment, what you do is you close down the lens of what you're able to see within that situation. And all you see is a little bit of the whole. So if you open up, um, I'll open up that lens in that judgment, you know, you'll see us and whatever. And and so by then it was like, okay, that's not what I was going to say to her. <laughs> that is not what I was going to say to her. So I said, who are you? I typed. Wow. And the answer was sound. Ah. And for a 12 year old who had been writing music, you know, going into the outer space and pulling out lyrics and melodies inspiration and, you're tapping into inspiration you're channeling right. from some sort of creative field through inspiration they say inspiration's divine you were working with that energy absolutely and and that channeling music and channeling angels and channeling einstein is it's all the same process it's in the same process ah. so um, ah, okay but, okay but go on please so as I typed, what they did, what was so profound for me was that they took situations in my life that I thought were horrible, shameful things. I was a failure, you know, even though I, I, would, I had been winning awards in rock and roll and in music, I still wasn't at the success level that I wanted and I was chemically addicted and I was tired and exhausted and they took all that and they reframed it into this beautiful, meaningful, magical uh, perspective of, well, yeah, well, maybe you didn't think you were doing your work, the spiritual work of your music that you wanted to do, but you were still playing you, and people were still hearing and it was still happening. And that was one of the first little shifts of, I call it like learning self-love, right? We reframe, we reframe the, definitions that are judgmental and limiting into bigger definitions so um and that perspective was coming from sound as you were saying it was helping you understand that right and sound sound yes now when i when i went to to eunice mike's mom she was an antenna there wasn't any angels or anybody else she just was said i'm like a giant antenna and i pick up your vibes and I, I talk them back to you. And that's how I felt when, when, when I started to channel, when they said sound, I thought, okay, so that's kind of antenna like whatever, you know, waves, sound waves. But, um, 
but it was it was absolutely fascinating and i started to do it i started to write it first people would come over and sit down and i would just write and then i thought i gotta wow. i gotta try to talk it like like eunice did and uh, one day i was at a party and i explained to everybody here's the deal i don't i've never done this before here's what's happened and suddenly i can do this and i'm gonna try to experiment and there was a guy in the back who was really snarky and like oh yeah you're gonna move, move, move. <laughs> and i said look i'm not here to convince you of anything you don't have to believe anything but could you please not be snarky while i'm doing this because it's kind of and he got he was like he asked the most insightful questions about the nature of reality and um, you know evolution. And I closed my eyes and took some deep breaths and talked and I came out of it and people were crying and other people were like, wow, what was that? And so that's really how I got started doing during readings. And, and were you conscious of what you were saying at that time? Like, or, or were you like outside in listening to yourself in a way? It it was it 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 always feels like it's just me talking. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm outside my body or that, except that it's a lot of information that I don't know where it comes from or what where I get it. And then there's another part of me sitting there going, "You can't tell them that. You don't know that." <laughs> <laughs> and then. And, yes, and, you can. And what part of us is that? Because I think that that shows up for all of us when we have these high frequency kind of download type experiences that we doubt it. What is that part of us? What would you call that? I call them the voices of culture. Okay. It's what is programmed into our intellectual frequencies from the minute we're born into this body, right? We're being programmed by all the voices of culture around yes. us. And some are objective, you know, I, I'm a woman, I'm in Wisconsin, and some are subjective. You know, you, you can't possibly do that. Or, and so it's paradigm. Yeah. It's just yeah. paradigm programming. And that's what's that, that's that little voice. It's that collective energy, you could say, of different people's paradigms that feel tapping into our field causing distortion. Well, and I think if we're if we're if we're hearing them, if we're experiencing them, those voices, um, then they're whether they're originating within us or they're originating in someone else. If we're hearing them, then they're here. They're ours in our heads. Right. And we have to figure out how to, <laughs> to unpro unlearn that, I guess, because that's the programming that's holding us back from our full potential. So you start doing readings and you're getting out there more. And this is like becoming a full-time thing for you at this point, I bet. Well, it's, it's a regular thing. Now I'm a, I'm a musician, so I'm, I, I, I have multiple revenue streams okay. anyway, but all of my, and this is in the nineties. You know, when I went to Eunice, I think it was like 19, might've been 69 or 70. Oh, wow. The, we didn't even have the cassette players that you'd push down those, you know, we didn't even have those. You had to bring somebody to take notes. So I watched the advent of then the, you know, the, those cassette players and the, and the Walkman, the cassette Walkman. You, you, and now look at what we can do. Oh yeah. With but, our phones, we have everything in our pocket. It used to be, you could never give a phone reading. There was no technology. And then suddenly there were these attachments you'd plug your landline into and you could plug it into the whatever. So wow. in any case, so, um, so you've yeah, been around so, it through the evolution of the whole interface with people. Yeah, absolutely. 
and <laughs> where people had to just come to my house and sit in front of me. Uh, and so I did, I had a, I gave readings to two of my friends and said, if this is, if this is helpful or pass it on. And most of it, most of everything that's come to me has been, um, referrals. I, I don't advertise very often. Not back then. I certainly didn't. Wow. So I have to yeah. ask you before we get too deep, because I know we're going to get really deep. You're a musician. What do you play? Tell me about that just a little bit. Um, I play mostly piano keyboards, but I, I produce, so I have, I, you know, I can do my bass on my keys and then I play guitar. I play some dulcimer and stuff, wow. but really it was songwriting at a very, very early age when I started to write, um, songs. And as you said, it was, it was a response to my traumatized household, I'm sure, but it, it, it just came out of me. There was no stopping it. And if I didn't write these songs, then I surely was going to go crazy. So <laughs> I, I wrote probably 500 songs in a very short time. Wow. Um, and, and, and not all of them retained, but I still have about that many songs in my, in my lists of recorded music anyway. So, uh, and it's, it's all about, uh, the styles are different. You know, I've got rock, I've got pop, I've got jazz, I've got ballads, I've got all kinds of different kinds. But, uh, I used to say my musical parents were Joni Mitchell and Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Sounds like you just love everything like myself. If it, it's either good or it's bad, that's what I think about music. doesn't matter the genre, the era, it's either good or right. it's bad. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful though. So, okay. So then you're developing yourself as a psychic, you're getting more clients and then things start to happen in the early nineties. So tell me yeah. about that. Things definitely start to pick up. I wanted to do groups. I wanted to see what this voice, cause it's the voice of we, we see this and we see that and okay, I'm a giant antenna. So to me, we is you and me. Okay. And, and, you know, the, whatever you think God is. Right. Uh, but what would they say to a group? Cause I had read Jane Roberts. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She did Seth. I, uh, yes, back absolutely. In the day. Yes, absolutely. And that was very, that to me was very sciencey. It was kind of more, more meta physical sciencey than it was, you know, woo woo, whatever. So, um, nobody wanted to. Nobody that I knew, none of my clients wanted to have a group. So I kind of gave it up. And then Teresa McMillan came for a reading. She was a referral and she sent about six other women. And she then sent her best friend, Kimberly Phelps. And when Kimberly came is when everything started to shift because Kimberly's reading was like, and wow. she went home and transcribed it. That was the first time anybody in my five, six, seven, eight years of doing this had ever transcribed their reading. Wow. And then they started to show up at, um, at my gigs. I, I joke they were stalking me, you know, because they come to my gigs. And, and on the break, they were like, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Hopefully so they love say, the music as well, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, so it was about the same time, I think, where I said, here's my group. Uh, and they said, Hey, we we're all wanting to talk more about this. Do you think Barbara would come over and have some wine with us? And wow. so they called me and said, would you come and, and I was yeah, like, would yeah. you want me to channel? 
well, we didn't want to ask you to work. It's like, <laughs> no. So wow. that's how it all began. That's how that all began. So that and, was the beginning of the psychic sorority. Yes. So then things started to happen as you started to do these group sessions. Yeah. Tell me about and that. And again, um, the accidental channeling teacher. I um, I hear this voice in my head say, you're going to teach them to channel. And I was like, no, I'm not. A, I don't know how to teach people to do this. I just did it happen to me. And B, maybe they don't even want to channel. And but that's what they brought us together to do. So we started to organize groups and in our living rooms. And this is in a great tradition of the spiritualists, you know, back right. in the late 1800s, early 1900s, just got together in their living rooms and did whatever, however yeah, seances they seances or whatever, just yeah, uh, yeah. beautiful meetings, all of the above. And I'm sure there were some that were, you know, fakers, but there were a lot of others who were really tapping into this spiritual reality. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we started to do that. And at one point the girls asked who are you to the while we were channeling and they said you can call us angels and i was not happy about that i was like wait a minute what does that mean like right away i, th I think sort of airy fairy like kind of oh everything is going to be beautiful and it's like that's not what these angels are talking about so how is that going to be received? And I, it was a little fishy to me, but whatever, you know, this is all happening very quickly. And it's also incredibly mind blowing. I'm sure. Oh my God. And what they were telling us, I had to admit was divine. It was, there was nothing, there's never an ounce of judgment in even, even the worst of situations. And they were, they told us that they were here to, they had this, this theory they wanted to test about if you resolve conflicts within people, that that will naturally manifest in world peace. And they had this process they wanted to test, but they didn't quite know, you know, that you can't pretend to have a conflict to test a process, right? <laughs> right. And so, so so they were giving us these step-by-step -step instructions for world peace one person at a time that starts with each individual and that we three became the guinea pigs of testing that process and as we learned and grew and all of us all three of us were just growing in leaps and bounds and evolve we couldn't wait to get together to hear the next installment of like what do we do and how do we do it and what does this mean and and finally it things started there was a conflict that arose and we were uncomfortable i had only known these women several months it wasn't like they were my old friends and we had to figure it out and we ended up at my kitchen table and uh it was one of these sort of like well i just need to know that you're going to be there for me well i need to know that you're going to be able to stand on your own two feet you know it's that kind of a conflict it wasn't anything below the belt or crappy it was like what are we doing what are we doing foundational I, it was a foundational yeah. conflict yeah and uh, the and so i i was the one who said wait a minute we just did the second group and it was called conflict resolution 
but let's go get the transcript. So I bring it out and you know, we're all at the kitchen ta- at the table like, oh, we don't want to be here. This is just too much. <laughs> and I read it and it said, if you're involved in a conflict, the root of your part is within you. And I have to admit, when I first heard that, when I channeled it that night, my head kind of whipped around because I was a big project projector victimizing myself. Um, I was big on that back in the day. Okay. And um, the idea that, wait a minute. So if I have a conflict with the woman I'm writing this letter to, and it's really in me, starts my root of it, the root of my part of it is in me. What does that mean? What, what is it? What's in me? What is it that's in me? And how does it look? And what do we do? Right. There's some aspect of it that you are responsible for. Yeah. And, and how do you find out what that is? And then how do you change? What, what, what does this even mean? So we're, we're at the table, right. And we're having this, you know, well, if you wouldn't know, if you would just, uh, and I, I said that and I looked up and we all kind of stopped and there was, we call it satori i think it was as if while we were having this fight all the angels filled into the kitchen and we're kind of like waiting to see how fast we were going to cycle into this and when i said it and we looked up and we all started to cry and i stopped and i said wait a minute okay i need to understand that you guys are in this learning stage and i have to have the and then kim was like you know, and I have to know that you're going to be there for me, but I have to make my own. So the whole tenure of the conversation shifted. Now, we didn't resolve every single conflict that ever was, but in that moment of trying to make peace, it shifted in such a way that was so profound to us that it couldn't be missed. Right. It caused everyone to take responsibility individually for their part and then focus the energy inward to correct that instead of focusing it outward to correct someone else's situation based on your perception of it. Right. Which is, as we know, just projection. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Wow. So that was the beginning of the conflict revolution, but you got more information. It wasn't just the angels that gave you information on this, right? Well, what happened was we, we went through all this and I actually ended up started training conflict revolution, uh, as a, it started out as a staff development course that I created for a nonprofit in St. Paul that I was contracting with. So okay. I, I took this and started to train it very early on, but we published our diaries in Diaries of a Psychic Sorority. <laughs> there it is, Diaries of a Psychic Sorority, talking with the angels in 1997. And it was our diaries, it's all the transcripts, and it's all of these baby steps that we were making and, and our first fight and you know how we, uh, how we dealt with all of this transformation that we were going through. And I got us a literary agent in New York because I wanted to shop. I thought this was an incredible story. Oh, right? absolutely. Yes, I'm loving it. I'm riveted, actually. Right. I mean, wouldn't you want to? So so she, she called me up one day and said she had a tabloid in London that was interested in an interview with Princess Diana from beyond the grave on the one-year anniversary of her death. Oh, my God. Okay. And you know, those like paranormal tabloids. Of course. Uh, National Enquirer. What was the other one? Uh, Weekly World News was one of the era. 
And and in in London they had one that was very specifically all about supernatural stuff. So okay. and I I didn't know quite what to think in the beginning, but when 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 I she asked me that because first of all, I'd never gone like to a dead person and asked them anything. Usually I was learning that the people the dead people came to me and wanted me to get messages to their living relatives or a a someone would come in a reading and say, can we talk to my grandma? And then it's like, okay, but a, a famous person, I mean, what? So <laughs> I sat down, I channeled the questions, I channeled the answers and I printed it off and went and read it. And I just, uh, I wept. It was, it, it was just beautiful. Okay. And the um, tabloids flew me out to New York and spent a lot of time interviewing me, but we were about together for about five hours. And it turns out they didn't want it. And it wasn't we, published. It wasn't published in the tabloid. Oh, but you published it later. Yeah. And which was the first good news. And the second good thing I finally realized was how incredibly Diana it was to back then not mention Charles or Camilla at all not even give them an air breath in that interview and that's why i'm pretty sure they didn't want it because they were looking for stuff to stir up the pot exactly they wanted controversy and blaming and things like that but do you feel like based on that just to touch on this for just a brief second do you feel like she was murdered i personally feel like she was but do you feel like that's what her spirit was telling you um i i don't know if she excluded that idea she was more talking about the fact that when you get into this position of power like she was in and like so many people who are idolized right that paparazzi want to chase them that you get this feeling of superiority and power like we can outrun these people because we're us you know this, <laughs> we're these we're celebrities these, <laughs> yes we're these celebrities and, but and so she she talked more about that attitude of that maybe got her in trouble but she didn't ever say she was murdered or not in that interview and because i channeled the questions as well as the answers i didn't really sit down and think it through like well what do i want to ask her it was just like well okay let's do this so <laughs> like, the questions and the answers came through you didn't direct traffic at all no Oh my God. Okay. So yeah. this continues though, because eventually you talk to Albert Einstein. I mean, but this is just the beginning of that. Well, and, and, and princess Di's message was all about making peace. Yes. Which you know? is the same as the angels. Right. And so, um, so my agent and I sat down and said, well, what other people might we want to talk to if we can do this? Um, and so the second one that came up was Nicole Brown Simpson. Oh my God. And that's really profound interview too. It's, it talks in this in-depth talk about how race relations are built and like what OJ went through as a child and the influences in the culture and, you know, what he had to live in to get ahead that were against, it, it just was very, and that of course, and, and domestic abuse and such was so profound and it hadn't been that long since she had been i think the trial was in 97 and we were doing this in 98 but right um anyway then we you know we asked different 
celebrities and they they tell us no or here's why or <laughs> so we got to john kennedy which is everything now that's coming out about how what really happened right that is was everything he says in this book so and that's when he told us that we didn't have to think up anybody else that they were going to tell us now who was next coming up so we would just save you the trouble of asking people who aren't involved in this project that we have going already <laughs> okay so that is that when they told you well, Albert they, Einstein was, was coming. Next was Jackie. Jackie oh, it was ja Jackie after that. And then she introduced <laughs> Einstein. Oh, my God. So many questions. Okay. You say that JFK's story that you channeled when you interacted with the spirit lines up with what is being put out there now by the American government and other sources. Obviously, it was an inside job. CIA, correct? Yeah, and, and he talked about, he said there was this cartelish, I don't know if he would use the word cartel, but he, that there was this group, and he called it the Friends of Vietnam. But it, he talked about, you know, some of them were in the oil cartel, and some were here, and some were there. And, you know, they pretty much all decided that, oh, no, you don't. And it was in the government, and it was, and it, so, yeah, it, it's... I, I, I don't even really know what to say to that. I always have intuitively known that. And I profess that if you see the Zapruder film, you can see the driver actually shooting him. And it's because he wanted the world peace that the angels were talking about. He was starting to align with that vibration. He wanted to unite the world and the powers that be the military industrial complex of the time. And even till still now said no. Yeah, Exactly. And back when I did the interview with him in 1998, um, I didn't have that language that I would use, you know, much more today that, you know, was this, I want to say, yeah, was this the deep state? Wow. Well, of course it was the deep state. Because he was starting to resonate with love, right? Yep. Why are there people in lower frequency experiences trying to repress higher frequency experiences? Why is there a active repression of human evolution even though it's unstoppable it's a futile effort why is there even an attempt i think it's a macrocosm of a condition in the deep microcosm of our energy that's being reflected in a in a huge way right it might start out as you know because you have to have dark and light you have yes. to have you know the chaos of creativity and such um but I've always felt like evil is, it's a filter in a human mind because without, without the filter in the human mind that makes decisions for the good of the few at the expense of the many, as Einstein says, is evil. Uh, without that, you don't really have evil. You have a, a maybe an earth that is going to go through eons and eons of change and violent weather related changes and you know continents shifting but that's not evil right and th so that microscopic place within us that's then being projected out into the lens of our existence it it manifests 
It needs that to evolve. We need that to evolve for now. Do you feel like as we grow as humans, we raise our vibration, we change our frequency collectively that we can vibrate past the lowest frequency behaviors that are manifesting in this plan? Yeah, but I think we do it, first of all, by uniting all of the frequencies. So we don't abandon the lower frequencies. We we kind of o- open up our consciousness to the truth of the great energy that we really are, which includes those lower frequencies and the highest frequencies. And we see it outside ourselves so we can, you know, conflict revolution, so that we can revolve it back here and then see it here and then know what to do to resolve it here first and then that naturally is going to manifest outside ourselves in less conflict in in various ways shapes and forms so (laughs) so that's what we're talking about the conflict revolution you just kind of described it it's seeing the outer world the outer third dimension as the summation of the microcosm and then pulling that back in to try to do the work within to have that then reflect back out. Yes. And it's the roadmap that Einstein has given us for how to do that, like how to get in there and then what it is, what's the map, what's in there and how to align it. And then to see how it manifests. uh, It's really remarkable. Okay. So Jackie O, you were talking to Jackie O. You had probably not many conversations with her i imagine because she had passed i believe right around that time was it 99 or 2000 i think think she i think she died in 94. 94 oh okay it was earlier than i thought so what did you gain from that experience well she was partly there because also norma jean baker is part of the party Mm. so there's a there's an important statement, I think, that the two, those two feminine energies were making as far as forgiveness and afterlife and such. Both being connected and, to JFK. Yes. But she also was talking about publishing in, in particular because it was at a time when uh, I had, we had just put out this first book, Diaries of a Psychic Sorority. And at the time, there was no print on demand you either you did it yourself and then you had to print up a thousand two thousand three thousand books and put them somewhere or get them to the distributor who then distribute them in a very old-fashioned way and so i was we were very much in the on the cusp of a whole change in in publishing at in that time in 1998 and she talked a lot about that and and also um just about you know she was such a diplomat she was such a diplomat well she really represented the goddess energy for america i feel like of the time and still today essentially the same thing with norma jean baker yeah and hers hers is so interesting too because she talks a lot about um in you know should we use our feminine wiles or should we adhere to some kind of decorum, you know, should we really use our sexuality to get us ahead? And, and she was very much about, you know, you use whatever it helps you in that moment. Sometimes walking into a room with you having your cleavage showing is a a completely wrong thing to do. Depending on the context. Yes. Yeah. It can, it can bring down your power to do that. So she, she had a lot of about, um, 
about feminine and feminine energy and, and empowering. And, And where are those conversations detailed? This is in Party of 12, The Afterlife Interviews. Oh, okay, cool. Because I want to direct people. We're going to talk about the books at the end, but I do want to direct people as we're talking just so that if they're taking notes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so now we're moving into Albert Einstein. You get introduced in the ethereal realm, and it's almost like passing a torch, right? There's some sort of transition happening because Albert contributes a lot more to your situation than maybe the other people that you were channeling. Yes. And and first of all, as soon as I went into the channel with Einstein, this is the voice that I'd been channeling. This is the this is sound. Oh my god. So the whole time it was Albert Einstein or even that oversoul, whatever that represents and showing up as Albert Einstein. Wow. The whole yeah. time. Okay. <laughs> and and he explained it later about, you know, we couldn't just show up and say, hey, I'm Albert Einstein. You know, you had to go through this long, lifelong kind of psychological training process in order to accept and embrace this. Because, you know, I started out as an aerial and then I kind of got uncomfortable with angels, but at least they were safe. <laughs> and even when he came out in Party of 12, I didn't. I published that I wrote it in 1998 and I published it in 2001 in June and September 11th happened. Oh, and it wow. was only then that I decided to do a group where I was actually going to tell people in who were listening that I was channeling Albert Einstein because it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's you, you want to believe it. I would say that more people are open to it now than ever before. So many people have had spiritual experiences, awakening experiences, big psychedelic experiences now that there's so much legalization. And I think that not just the individual consciousness, but just humanity's consciousness in general is now able to understand these things more than ever. I believe. I'm not sure though. Oh, no, I absolutely agree. And you can see my long and varied history of going through all kinds of changes. And just that there's so many people like you who want to talk about this. There's so many. I'm doing three, four, five interviews uh, a week. Wow. Because people want to talk about this stuff. And Einstein, who doesn't love him still? Right. He's he's still a rock star. Oh, oh, my God. Absolutely. I mean, like literally household name in 2023. Yeah. And, and people talk to him them, themselves. They, they don't need me. I learned through this process where I came out of the closet. Um, people were like, I knew it. I knew it. I heard it. I knew it. I knew it. I'd, I've been talking to him for years. It's like, I don't doubt it. I mean, the man is brilliant and the work that we've done together is certainly brilliant enough to be Einstein and it's divine enough to be angels. And who else but Albert Einstein would die, go into afterlife, figure it all out, make these arrangements, and then get this information through? Right. It's, it's just brilliant. <laughs> well, he's but doing the work. Uh, he did work in the third dimension while he was here. He wanted to continue the work. And that is what you channeled, the continuing work of Albert Einstein. Tell me about some of the things you channeled from Albert that's going to help us, this, these, this new information. Well, just and to get there, I wanted to do this uh, very special book just for him. 
on the 100 year anniversary of E equals MC squared and his miracle year, because 2005 was the year of physics in the United Nations, and it was all dedicated to him. So I did several groups, and I took those transcripts all winter, and I edited. I edited and edited, and I imagined him sitting near me telling me what to do. And so he would say, this is one very specific, he said, Google black holes. And just to be clear, I'm not I dropped out of physics in like 10th grade and no more math for me. It was so. You, you don't have a postdoctorate in nuclear physics? <laughs> All I ever wanted to be was a rock star. Okay, so. You are a rock star. I know. I'm, yeah, I know. But, but you know, so, so I do it and there's in, in black holes, there's these terms called lens, source, and observer. Okay. I don't know what they mean. And he says, okay, take those and we're going to put them over here on our map. So we build these, we're starting to build these unified field maps, like much like I imagined he did in real life when they would draw, like they draw, uh, they didn't have computer generated stuff. They had hand drawings of their, their visions of what they're seeing. And so little by little, we started to create this unified field theory coming out of afterlife. And the most profound thing that still blows me away every single day is how he gave compassion, a scientific quantifiable definition that fits into earth sciences as well as spirituality, etc. Really? But that it has a, a, a definable, it's a definable force in the universe. It's the fifth fundamental force. You know, there's four fundamental forces for those who may or may not know. Electromagnetics, gravity, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, and they all have their influence on what ends up being matter, like electricity ignites and gravity guides and weak nuclear force transforms, you know, from one to two. So there's all this miraculous creation of physical matter that the four fundamental forces are doing. Compassion with a capital C is the fifth fundamental force. It's the intelligence that uses the four fundamental forces to impel the creation of the universe, the physical world, one step at a time. Uh, that was his ex, his definition of it. And that's one of the things that you channeled. So then is compassion consciousness or is it a vehicle for consciousness? It's, um, how do I do it? Uh, compassion plus energy equals consciousness oh. and consciousness plus math equals mass. Okay. So compassion, Im okay, here's the three things that compassion does to impel the four fundamental forces. The first thing it does is it impels out of nothing into something, one point, one circular it's actually a membrane domain it's like a particle okay so like like a compass that draws circles you yes. know, on a piece of paper compassion impels energy to step out of the nothingness and create one particle that's going to be you your compilation it's a compilation of your consciousness and then 
in that in that compilation is all the mathematics that are going to be you and your and your experience in, in the physical world your body your, you know your dna your latitude your longitude your time and then uh, these this math of course is always in flux and moving and then so when consciousness joins with this math it's the beginning of what's going to project into the lens of the physical world to be the mass to be the the uh the mass that you manifest as yeah wow and, and experience yeah so and include, like what, like you said including all the experiences everything is in that mathematics and the compassion it's it includes love right you, you would say love but compassion is even more because compassion includes love well, and if we're when we take that classical definition of compassion, it gets to the third thing that it does. So the second thing that compassion does to your compilation is it like a compass that aligns to true north, it aligns your compilation to the true north of the earth because this is all taking place in the center of the planet. Okay. So it's aligning your compilation to the true north of Earth. So we're all on the same page. We all have the same map, the same legend, the same, the math is working in the same way. So it's aligning us. And if you're talking about macrocosm and microcosm, this compilation is the same uh, as, as the Earth in, the, in, its, in its energetic structure. So the Earth has an electromagnetic field around it. And, and so that's... It's the same that. construct. You're saying it's the same construct. Yes. Okay. And and then the third thing that compassion does, it infuses that with the knowledge that it is one with everything, that it's one uh, one body, one uni unified field. So everything within this, which includes everything, like you said, you know, it's everybody, everybody on earth, everybody, everybody's in there, but our individual compilation separates out just enough of it for us to have our unique human experience through our bodies, which are the projectors and the perceivers of this gravitational wave that's coming out of that compilation. <laughs> so. You know, <laughs> this wow, this is really, really heady stuff. I, I, I'm like following it like, oh, my God, it's so right? incredible. But this is, again, what you channeled, you brought in from the spirit of Einstein. And I know that there's so much more, but have you talked to conventional scientists about this? Have you showed them this to get their reaction? I I have a mission to do that with some more notable scientists right now. But through all of this, I have had a handful of scientists, uh, some just like my science, my physics teacher friend, Ron, like he totally has helped to talk about it and, sh and you know, is this and isn't this because I don't know. Right. Um, but I did have one one situation where uh, it was when when I first released this book that came out, Imagining Einstein, Essays on M-Theory, World Peace, and the Science of Compassion. And I'd hired these book promoters. They were going to work with me to promote everything and book all the book signings and do the website and do all this. And the day before I left for my book tour, I was going to Princeton, right? Uh, they went out of business. Oh. <laughs> so 
<laughs> where should we ship those 3000 books miss with it's like yikes so anyway um i was not feeling all that well and i i had this gig they booked me in philadelphia at this meetup you know meetups yes where you you, you arrange them online but you actually meet up in person yes yes of course and it was called the metaphysical meetup. And I almost didn't go because I was so distressed and it was in the back of some co-op. And But I went, of course, and these were amateur chemists and amateur physicists and amateur scientists who had come to talk about science and chemistry. And I was kind of mortified because I thought as they're talking in the beginning <laughs> of their meetup and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, really reiterate that. <laughs> hey, I don't know anything about it. I just talked to dead people. And, <laughs> um, and that's what I did. I got up in front of them and said, I, I don't, I'm not here to convince you that it is Einstein. What I'm asking is, will you let me present this to you? And then will you tell me what you think of it? And at the end, all of them that <laughs> were losing their minds, the chemist was like, wait a minute, the old chemistry theory is where you have th six blah, blah, blahs that flow in, but the problem was always they couldn't do it. But what you're saying is that now there's nine blah, blah, blahs, right, right? I'm like, sure, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about it. So, But it did activate some truth within them. They could see intuitively and physically, it was right in front of them, that this information was very valid. I know. And, and right now, Jake, I'm telling you, uh, Nassim Harriman, who has been working for a unified field theory. He's a physicist who yes. has been working diligently. And he just recently revealed, finally, he did this big presentation of his unified field theory that he was gonna present. I mean, this is the top of the line guy. And my my colleagues and I are watching and it's like, well, it's all on our maps, but he's got like just these little tiny pieces that resemble like baby steps in trying to put this map together. And we're like, we got to get to him. You know, we got to show him this because he's going to go, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Wow. So, so that's part of your mission right now is to get that to him. I wonder if I can help you. We should stay in touch on that. I have a lot of connections. and uh, Oh, I love it. I love it. Yes, we'll definitely talk about that after the show. People a little behind the scenes here. But that information, the information you received from your angels and the angel communications, the information you received from Albert Einstein, you aggregated. And that is what you, you use as the foundation for the conflict revolution. Yes. So how do you think this can help people? Like what if people really started to adapt this? Is, is this then what would be the catalyst for the United Earth, for the world peace that we all kind of dream of and love to talk about? I, I think it is because it, first of all, it's, it's really a simple map. It's, it's as elegant as E equals MC squared. So this is not some great complicated thing that everybody's going to have to go to school for for years or whatever it's something that's very fluid it's it's if you're going to work on the microcosm you know we the the macrocosm what the angels used to say to us is we're not asking you to work for world peace we're asking you to resolve this conflict in in this way and the result will be world peace the byproduct is going to be world peace so it brings it way down into a very, very practical 
everyday level of work that can have a huge effect upon first and foremost your life yes thriving in your life and manifesting abundance in your life and and being a change in the communities where because we're all conflicted i mean oh my gosh is there's a lot going on in all of our lives if we had that focus that time to do that then it would be that much more and we can have that if you kind of dial that in you get that within yourself fixed you could say or at least like worked on well and it's it's what it is is a system it's a self-regulating system it's not waiting for somebody else to do something for you or i have to be joining with groups of people it's I'm going to go in and it works so basically because basically when you're triggered and we all get triggered by somebody, there's a story of why you're triggered by them in your intellect. There's a story. And if you can parboil that story down to a really basic message, like she doesn't respect my time or um, I had one call. She does. She expects me to do her work and then she criticizes me for it. If you can get it down to that, and you're willing to step into your own witness and go, wait a minute, this is a, this is a clue for me. This is my clue. Where am I not respecting my time? Where am right. I not respecting somebody else's time? And even if you're not into the mystical, uh, miraculous way that it works, that's just common sense. Yes. Because there is that reflection outward because we do create our own environment with our thoughts, with our thinking, our actions and our behaviors. And some people would say some spiritual people and really deep thinkers would say that reality, our lives, it's just for us. Like it's really an illusion. We think that it's real. We think the people around us are real and they are, but there is this one layer that is just you and the divine. And all of this is just this illusion. So when you do make that change within yourself, whether it's in group conflict resolution or just changing yourself so you can raise your vibration, the whole universe changes. It ripples out and it could be that layer, but it could be a collective layer where all of us are making those changes. Either way, there are results for the work that you do. And, and oftentimes when you go through the process and you get that aha moment where you find where you're not respecting your time or you thought somebody else wasn't respecting your physical limitations when you're saying yes all the time to doing things that are beyond your physical limitations and you take responsibility for that, things change like this. Things can change really fast in the sense that all kinds of synchronist, the little big, I had a, a client or a, a workshop participant in Denmark and she came to me, She her conflict was like, my mother-in-law hates me. My mother-in-law has hated me for 20 years. She has been trying to drive me back to Barbados. She was from Barbados and married a Norwegian guy. And when all was said and done, she came up to me and she said, you knew where this was going, didn't you? I was like, well, I kind of do, but... She said, I'm homesick. And I've been, I have every single excuse in the world for why I don't go home. It's not that there's no reason they had a lot of money. The kids were grown, but she kept hanging on to this idea that she couldn't go and couldn't go. And when she released that, she saw her mother-in-law in in, in, 20 years of conflict 
were shifted in their family where she didn't have to feel like, oh, my mother, I'm blaming my mother-in-law. How, how much effect does that have on the dynamic of one's world? So these things, I think this is where the hope lies. And if it's truly a unified field theory, as I believe it is, then all we have to do is work on the micro and the macro will start to change. And I personally think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the uh, the foundations that are built on those lower frequencies and not working for the good of all, being exposed and having a chance to reform or yes. renew. They are eroding away as we raise our frequency collectively. People say the age of Aquarius, people talk about the procession of the equinoxes and just how humanity is just moving into a different bandwidth of existence. And I think that this is all a part of it. The information, the work that we're doing out there in the world, all of it together is that new thing that the angels are talking about, that Albert Einstein is talking about. Some people call it a new earth, but I think it's just humanity evolving. Like being compassionate, bringing in that fifth element, like you said, of compassion, that fifth force and forgiving ourselves and then allowing new information to come in so we can grow and being okay with that. And when we do conflict revolution, which is really self-love, it's learning how to self-love. What we learn how is to make decisions for the good of the whole. And we're so programmed by these voices of culture to, at least as women, I don't know, men too, but that um, you, you got to take care of everybody else first before we take care of ourselves. <laughs> and how can we take care of the whole when we can't even take care of ourselves? Because this teaches us first and foremost to take care of ourselves. Right. And then we can turn to the world and project our self-love instead of projecting our conflicts on them. And that's got to be huge, yes. I think. Yes. And as we change and grow and all of us do this, that is the shift that will happen. That will jumpstart us into that new bandwidth. But tell me more a little bit about what Albert Einstein talked about this moment in history. Now we're talking about this new earth concept and these various things, but he had some other advice for us in this times. Can you tell me about that? Well, I think it's interesting that in, in writing the party of 12 book where they told us, we're going to tell you who's coming. So Einstein came, Freud came and Hitler came. Oh. Oh, fantastic. Uh -huh. And at the time, I, I didn't know very much really in-depth stuff about any of them. I mean, I knew stuff about Einstein. I, I liked him. I wasn't a big, like, crazy fan. but And I knew Freud was the father of the whatever, but, and of course, Hitler. So years later, it's come to not be lost on me that they were planning for this time that they they saw the potential when they were in life and in fact in 1932 after world war ii the uh, league of nations had a committee it was called the international uh, committee on intellectual cooperation to try to get the world talking again after this horrible war that had split apart uh europe and so they asked thought leaders of the time if they would write stuff to be published so that the people can start thinking um, long before the internet, obviously. 
so they asked Einstein and he said uh, he wanted to write a letter to Freud. He wanted to write to Freud back and forth. And the first thing that he asked Freud, and this is, you can Google, Google this, it was, how do we end war? And their first thought, both of them had this thought that, well, maybe we should get this one world government. And then they kind of quickly <laughs> realized that this would be deadly because it's easier to denature plutonium than it is to help humans not be evil. So Freud came up with what he called kind of indirect approaches to world peace. And the first thing was to nurture open minds that were hungry for the truth. Okay. The second one was to have a heart connection and build community within people. And the third one was to really tell people the truth about what can possibly happen. It's, it's a horrible possibility. And if maybe if you knew that your grandchildren were going and great, you know, grandchildren's grandchildren were all going to be eliminated, you might be moved to make peace. So that was, that was their actual real life conversations that they have. So in afterlife, this is the time they're here for. This is why they're here is to help us to rid ourselves of these voices of culture, which is just propaganda, yes. the propaganda of our minds. Absolutely. Even before this world that we live in, that's, of course, we haven't lived in a world that hasn't had propaganda. Uh, us, you and I. And yes, that's absolutely true. It's been going since probably the 1700s consistently. Yeah. So, um, so to, to get rid of the propaganda in our minds and align it to compassion so that we're making decisions for the good of the whole that's starting with us based on these maps. You know, what does that mean? It's very simple inwardly. It's very hard to do when we're externally focused and you know, part of what it gives us the physical experience is projection. You know, we're projecting all of this compassionate energy that's coming up this gravitational wave through our bodies. And so you can't stop projecting. But this us versus them mentality and then projecting it on the other is what's breaking it all down. Yes. So, and also one thing I'd like to add to that is I believe that the moment that we realize that we are all light beings in a physical body, that we're not our body, we're in our body. And when we realize that as humans collectively, that it doesn't matter our age, our ancestry, our history, our gender, none of it matters at the point where we are all united, which is where we are all light beings. So when we have that realization, when we identify ourselves with the light within, that's the true human experience. I think that will be a big evolutionary point as well. And I think that's the manifestation of that third thing that compassion does, is that it, it imbues us with this knowledge that we're one being that's having this massive experience together. And you can't destroy part of your being without destroying part of your being. <laughs> well, that also lends itself to the idea of why these things happen on earth, because 
as we're growing collectively as a species, this earth is our classroom. And what we are doing to each other in a way, for good or for bad, we're doing to ourselves in that collective sense. So in order to join the galactic family and the higher frequency beings that are out there, we have to work through the lower frequency behaviors. And we can only do that by working through them on ourselves. We can't go out into the universe and persecute other races or other species. We have to work all of that out before we can join the galactic family. What do you think about that? Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, I did this conflict revolution class last week and I had two, I have two women from Israel who reached out to me and said, um, can you help us? We're, our country is in this desperate state of war. They're, they're, they were feeling like they're about to lose uh, their whole way of government and they're being taken over by a totalitarian state. And one of them is very much about what we're talking about. And the other one wants to believe that, but she's still in her us versus them. And so we worked the process and we came up with some of those sound bites. And some of the sound bites she came up with were exact sound bites that I would tell any any of my political friends, I don't care what side you're on. If you think they're taking away your democracy, let's revolve it around and see how your associate, your party is taking away democracy. Because as far as, far as I can see, it's, a, it's one big party. I, so I agree we, wholeheartedly. If, if we can just stop us from fighting about which party is better or worse or left or right and realize that no, 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 no. And and one of the answers that Einstein gave about, you know, do you go out in the streets and protest or is that giving energy to what you don't want? And what he said is there's this incredible thing when you go out into the streets, but you shouldn't be projecting all your anger onto the what's outside you that you assume is the source of this horror. You should be creating what you want to create, which is sovereign individuals who are going to say, no, I'm not, you don't own me, you know, you know, who, who own their power and celebrate it together and in, in oneness. And so, yeah, there's a lot of levels of work that this work can affect. <laughs> because it's showing us that it truly is our responsibility, whether it's collective these political issues like you talked about, it's really within. And then if you want to change that, you have to change within yourself. What a powerful conversation we're having. This is so amazing. What else can we talk about? I know we don't have too much time left, but I do want to talk to you about a few more things. What do you feel about the extraterrestrial presence on earth and what's coming with that reality being in place? Now in the public discourse, the average citizen is now in America, at least I think it's worldwide is talking about extraterrestrials as being an, a reality and accepting it. They're finally accepting it. There's something happening. What are your thoughts about that? What have you received about that topic? Einstein has a very specific theory about extraterrestrials being that if you're looking at uh, the source of our universe being in the center of the planet and everything is projected out from there. He doesn't preclude that there aren't other planets that have a completely different source, completely different set of mathematics, um, which create different 
atmosphere is in um, potentials for creating machinery or, you know, technology, what have you, that are completely different, operate completely different than they would on the earth. But he, he paints it more like, um, not like they're planets in the outer space, but like they're, they're compilations of a different consciousness from a, from a whole different creative force. So he kind of has a little different way of explaining it. And I have to say that part of what I'm having trouble with right now is the proliferation of the idea of extraterrestrials by the deep state in order to ramp up, um, you know, defense, space defense and such. Oh, of course. That's always the intention. Yeah. So, but I do know people who years ago, years before, before those, uh, those kinds of deeds, uh, had encounters. So it's not that I don't think that there, there aren't extraterrestrials. I just don't think a, they're here to save us. And, and I, and I think there's a, we need to be careful about what's being fed to us just like everything, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's declassified reports, Project Bluebeam, that talks about how in a crisis situation, the government was going to use holographic technology to project a UFO invasion. This is all declassified documents to initiate uh, a new layer of control. So they, uh, the powers that be, what we're calling the deep state, of course, we know that's real. The deep state would love to use anything as a mechanism to clamp down on the collective human experience. Why not use UFOs? It just seems like though, with the plethora of life and mathematical possibilities out there, that there must be evolved consciousnesses. And even Drake's equation uh, talks about that. He did the math to determine how many conscious civilizations are in the universe. And it was in the billions. Yes. And, and depending how you, depict them physically you know like there's billions of consciousnesses just like if we looked inward you know each cell that you have is a, is a whole consciousness a life form right so um yeah <laughs> inward outward <laughs> oh i as a kid i used to think i used to always think about if i look into a telescope is that really like looking into a microscope ah yeah, it so. is one giant life force. It's all happening within inside the mind of whatever that is, the mystery, whatever God or consciousness means to you. It's all within that. And we're all within that. The good. We talked about this earlier. The good, the bad, the ugly. It's all within the sphere of the divine. It's all there for a purpose. Very, very powerful. What a discussion we've had. Oh my God, Barbara, this has been so amazing. And we've just ripped through. So I just want to tell people about your books, the books that are available and where to find you. So first off, you can book a reading with Barbara directly and she will connect you with the party of 12 and Einstein. We're talking about this. She can channel these individuals. She has a direct line. If you want to talk to them and have this experience yourself and figure out how this information can help you directly, you can book a reading with Barbara directly on barbarawith.com. And let me tell you about the incredible books that are available. The first book, of course, was the book where 
she detailed her conversations with the angels diaries of a psychic sorority it looks like it was just republished in 2019 it was released in 1997 it's back you can get that einstein et all manifestation conflict revolution and the new operating system is out there imagining einstein essays on m theory world peace and the science of compassion party of 12 the afterlife interviews and party of 12 post 9 11 that just means we have to do a whole nother episode because <laughs> we all, have to we have to <laughs> all of a sudden i'm feeling like we have another two-hour conversation in the works so we have to tell everybody we yeah. are definitely going to bring you back on so definitely though if you're feeling called to this information you're feeling the pull and you feel the excitement and the enthusiasm that we felt during this conversation check out those books go there and of course the other website is synergy alliance dot l lc so that's synergy s y n e r g y alliance a l l i a n c e synergy alliance dot llc so you can go there you can learn about conflict revolution the books it's all there her whole story and everything so wow barbara before we go we've had an incredible conversation thank you so much for being here Oh man, thank you. This is the best. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing. But before we go, do you have anything you'd like to leave our audience with? 87 countries consistently, 171 countries. What would you like to leave people with? I just want to leave them with that on July 9th, which was the anniversary of Einstein's last uh, manifesto that he wrote before he died, calling for peace. We put out a call for the participation of the willing to take part in a worldwide action to end the age of war. And we do, we're, we're offering conflict revolution masterclasses. I'm, I, I'm doing some unified field classes to present all that and uh, at no cost, because this isn't about me marketing uh, a workshop. It's about us changing the world in this way. And I'm so passionate and excited about this work. And I, I know that it's, it's really an answer. So come on aboard. Yes. And where can they find this information and tell me the date again? Well, we did it on July 9th. Oh, and you're doing another one. Um, I'm always doing more. Yes. I'm oh. always ch offering channeling sessions, <laughs> okay. free channeling sessions, free master classes, free, uh, unified field stuff. I'm going to start also doing some events this winter out on the road and uh, wow. in person too. So I didn't realize, I didn't realize so much of it was free. That's amazing. How generous yeah. of you. Yeah. I just, this isn't it's just, it's, the, I, I make money. I'll make money. Money is, uh, you know, it's a, thing that we manifest when we need it exactly and you just put the energy out there law of divine compensation you just put the energy out it's going to come back in different forms you just do the work for the divine for love for humanity the service it's so beautiful i will accept your money <laughs> <laughs> You well, they give it to me. Hey, I think it's a good idea for the work that you're doing. We all should be paid for the work that we are doing. Absolutely. So thank you again, Barbara, so much for being here. It's thank been absolutely you, amazing. Please hold through the outro music. Everyone, please check out those books. Please go to those websites. You're going to learn. I've learned so much. It's been an incredible conversation. Of course, we're going to have Barbara back on very soon. And we will see you next week.
Midnight on Earth.